0: This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Welcome back to the DTC pod, everybody. I'm your host, Jay. And today we have a great guest with us, Hector Gutierrez, who's the CEO of Joy, a brand that specializes in plant milk concentrates. Super excited to have Hector on the podcast over here. We're gonna be talking a lot about manufacturing and operations. I know we usually cover a lot of marketing and customer experience, customer success related topics, but it'll be nice to have Hector on here to talk about manufacturing operations, have a lot of fun topics to cover over here. But before we dive in, Hector, I'll pass the mic over to you if you wanna give a quick little intro. And tell us a little bit more about what you do and what Joy does as well. Sure. Thanks, Jay.
1: Really appreciate being here. So Joy stands for just one ingredient. And as you said, we specialize in plant milk concentrates. But we view the opportunity in plant milk as kind of a gateway to get people exposed to a healthier lifestyle, more sustainable living, and clean food eating. So what we do with our products is allow people to use them to make amazing plant Based milks. They're just one ingredient. So, almond cashew. We have extended into whole food lines that allow us to experiment with a combination of different nuts, seeds, and grains. And we just launched an oat product, which is also a single ingredient. But what's really interesting is that people not only use it for making milk, but they use it for making plant based sauces, dressings, ice creams, yogurts, butter. We like to say it's just one ingredient, but infinite possibilities. So, with Joy, you're really dealing with an interesting and unique plant concentrate that can really lead, yield you a bunch of different kind of recipes and formulations. So our, our customers love that. They love the the, the idea and the, the opportunity to create new recipes at home or in their restaurants because we have a lot of food
0: service businesses that use our product. And we're constantly listening to them and kind of designing new products that make sense for their needs. Very cool. How did you kind of get started in that space and, and working on this? So there's actually three
1: co-founders and, you know, Some of my closest friends and partners who started this business really, it was incorporated in 2016 and it was the nexus of it came about in 2013 as a design school project. What we have today is is stemmed from an idea that they had during the design school to make plant milks more sustainable and better for you. Because at the time they realized, Tony, Dave, and I realized, hey, almond milk is full of additives, full of preservatives, it comes in a tetra pack that's hard to recycle and it doesn't taste very good it doesn't taste like the real deal stuff tony at the time was making plant milk at home izzy was very passionate about ocean you know cleanup practices and making sure that there's less waste and plastic in our oceans and dave was learning that he was lactose intolerant coming from wisconsin a you know, dairy state he was he's very eager to explore and and kind of his mind was blown about the different alternatives in the market especially in 2013 So long story short, they went through this process. They actually developed a machine to make almond milk, think an espresso for almond milk, and quickly realized, you know, this isn't fun. Getting into machine, you know, manufacturing and appliance manufacturing isn't exciting. It's very tedious. It's a lot of work and kudos to anyone listening who does that. But, you know, they they quickly pivoted and wanted to get into a food product um, and a CPG consumable, perishable product. And that's where I come in and, you know, I've been in the food service business for almost 11 years as a restaurateur. I had a restaurant out of college and, you know, I went to a huge conglomerate in fast food actually where I quickly realized I didn't want to be in fast food anymore after two years there traveling the world. And then, you know, I went to cold press juice after that. And that's where Tony and I got to talking because I was making plant milks at scale for our cold press juice operation. We had dozens of, of of store locations throughout Florida, and you know we put our heads together and said, "Hey, let's let's bring this new product format to the market." So that was in twenty eighteen. We first went out to food service. Then twenty nineteen, we launched a consumer brand called Joy uh, in April twenty nineteen, and we've been
0: scaling and growing ever since then, both our food service channel and our direct to consumer business channel. Very cool. And I know we're going to get into some of the the logistics and manufacturing parts of that process. Let's talk a little bit about the manufacturing process specifically. I know you have some experience in this. What are some things that first-time founders or brand owners might be generally unaware of when working on consumer packaged goods for the first time?
1: It's a crowded market. There's a lot of different characteristics that make brands either stand out or not stand out. And I think really understanding your your point of differentiation is key. And we we had an interesting challenge there because our product kind of looks like a nut butter, and we explicitly make sure that it's not called a nut butter because we actually use processes that are different, very different from nut butters. But understanding those unique characteristics were really helpful to us in in not only manufacturing the product at scale, but also understanding what the the needs of the product in terms of what they service the customer and how our customers relate to the products was really something we were thinking about from benchtop to getting into a facility and, and making this, you know, in, in the quantities that we make it today. And I think, you know, some, some factors that people underestimate is, you know, when you're making something at home, making it in a facility at scale, the recipe and the formulation begins to change slightly. So, you know, keeping, keeping in mind what you're ultimately trying to achieve and having some guiding Points for you to ensure that you're not degrading the the quality of the final product is is really a sweet spot because as soon as you start scaling, it's very tempting to start adding flavors or you know additives and preservatives and you know coming across that line depending on what you're trying to achieve ultimately and playing with different processes and you know ingredients is really something a labor of love and you got to test a lot.
0: Yeah, for sure, and that that totally makes. A lot of sense over there. And what are some, I guess, like diving into that a little bit more, talking about how maybe what works in the kitchen isn't always what works at scale. What are some of the issues that typically, um, and I don't know if you have experience running into those issues, like what are some of those issues that are faced um, on why maybe things aren't as easy as it seems in that case of, you know, hey, we've developed something in a kitchen. And it works great. But now that we've manufactured it, we need to kind of make adjustments. Like, can you like provide a little bit of information on like why that happens and some things to kind of like consider over there as well when uh, going from tabletop to manufacturing at scale?
1: Totally. Yeah. So food is weird. Food, food acts weird for all the reasons we love it. it, It's a tricky thing because depending on where you get your sourcing, depending on the quality of the ingredients you're purchasing, where in the world it comes from, what kind of certifications it has, it'll alter the final product quite significantly. And typically when you're buying stuff for a tabletop testing, it's, it's not the same raw materials that you'll be using when you're manufacturing at scale. The same is said for appliances. Like if you're using kitchen appliances, with even commercial kitchen appliances, but tabletop kitchen appliances, which can quite expensive and get you a high degree of quality whether you're breaking down something like we do nuts or you know you're mixing something or you're heating something those appliances are fundamentally different when you're manufacturing at scale in a facility so there's there's a lot to consider one trick that has been very helpful to us along the way has been working with OEMs which is you know, the manufacturers of the of the pieces of equipment that you feel that you might be needing to use. Typically, these brands will allow you to engage with them and run trial tests in their facilities, kind of like a showroom to run some of your products and get some really good feedback to determine, A, do I need to purchase that piece of equipment? Or B, do I need to find a manufacturer who has that piece of equipment? So I can either run more tests or get into an agreement with them where I'm running my products at scale. So, you know, I, I highly recommend working with with those companies because it's in their incentive to make sure that they're using you're using their equipment, whether you buy it or find a manufacturer who uses it, because you know, in the in the hopes that you scale or that you'll need parts from them, um, it makes a lot of sense. So for us that's been a very useful tactic and identifying the right processes and steps that would be needed for us to ensure that we have a really high quality product when we're producing it in, you know, large batches. And then, you know, one, one other point that, that I'll make is, is just the quality. Like when you make something at home, the shelf life or the environment that it's made in is quite different. So the, you know, running your safety checks and quality checks at the end, there's all kinds of tests for bacterial tests that you'll need to run. In a facility, because you're introducing all kinds of different, you know, variables in the manufacturing process, uh, so you want to make sure your product is super safe. And then running quality checks from, you know, everything from critical control points to ensuring that there's no foreign, you know, objects in the product. All kinds of stuff that at home you don't really care about because you're, you know, you're taking the chance on yourself. But if you're going to be serving into a large market, hundreds of thousands of people are going to be eating your product or drinking your product. You want to make sure that is. As, as safe as it could
0: possibly be. For sure. And after going through, you know, the process, and I know you mentioned, you, obviously, you're pretty involved in in a lot of that stuff over there. When do you think, so for brands that are maybe listening or even people that are potentially thinking about starting a brand, how do you know when it's time to potentially move to a bigger manufacturing process versus maybe making your your product at home or or doing it in some sort of like test kitchen like should you be thinking about that sooner rather than later is there maybe like a customer or a revenue point that you should be looking at how do you make sure that you know you're you're providing a great product but you're also you know keeping costs low and also thinking about doing as much as you can as your business continues to scale.
1: Yeah, I think, I think a way to approach this is like, don't let good get in the way of perfect. And I mean that when it comes to scale, obviously, you know, quality is a huge component of it and safety is a huge component of it, but you know, getting product out there in the market is, is the number one thing that you got to be doing uh, making sure that it's a quality product. Obviously, if you're trying to grow a business, you want to make sure that that product is as good as it could possibly be. So when, when I think about it, it's like make, if, it, if making it at home gets you the results that you think are, are great, go for it, give it to friends, family, see what they say, then work with the test kitchen, you know, scale that test kitchen as, and maximize the opportunity at that test kitchen as much as possible overextend yourself at that test kitchen as much as possible and then start thinking about okay do I need to vertically integrate or do I need to work with a co-man when your volume dictates that and not before your volume dictates that and I think that's a key key point because you can quickly get in over your head especially with commands well even vertically integration because both of them are, are going to be a cost a huge cost to you if you vertically integrate the you know the capital requirements of purchasing a piece of equipment or are extremely high and then making a full line or an automated line even said, and the labor costs of that is extremely, extremely high. And, you know, it'll, you want to be in a position where your volume really dictates those, those purchases and same with a co-man. Unfortunately, it's, it's hard to find a co-man that will produce for you in small batches. You're going to most co-mans want to leverage their own lines and their overhead. So they're going to ask for quite a substantial first, first batch or first lot from doing business together. And after going through, you know, contract negotiation and everything, you're going to be stuck with a pretty hefty bill. And if you can't move that product, especially a perishable product, you're not in a good spot as a business. So get product out there, whatever you got to do, learn from your process, learn from how people are engaging with your product. And then, you know, the same time, explore opportunities to, to explore what it looks like taking it to the next step and growing and scaling your business. So I, you, know, you got to do a little bit of both. You got to be putting the product out there and, and engaging and thinking about what it takes to take it to the next level
0: at the same time. Yeah, those are some really great considerations to, to think about as a brand. You know, we've talked about the manufacturing process and that's obviously just one part of this, actually creating the product. Another big part of like the manufacturing and operations processes. is, the fulfillment, you know, it isn't just enough to get manufacturing right. You also need to make sure you're able to fulfill orders in a timely manner. How do you find the right fulfillment partner? What are some characteristics that you should be looking for there? Totally.
1: And I think the the same logic applies here. Like at the beginning, if your volumes are small, you should be fulfilling your products yourself. Not should be, but it, I think it's, you know, advantageous to do so because as you're doing it you're learning a lot. You're learning about what kind of packaging you want, what packaging makes sense for your product. Is it a pain in the butt to put together? Is it super easy? Is the packaging arriving safely, is it arriving damaged? All of those questions with, you know, hands-on experience allow you to go to a fulfillment partner and say, "Hey, we need X, Y, and Z," or you change your packaging type to accommodate for for direct to consumer shipping. There's a lot of different angles that, you know, without going through, without doing the heavy lifting, you won't Fully understand until you've you know gone through the exercise yourself, or you are fortunate enough to have someone on your team who who's very very well versed in it. But even then, I would say you know, you know the proof is going to be in the pudding. You got to test it, test your product in that environment. So when looking to, for a fulfillment partner, there's it seems like there's an ever growing amount of them. It's really exciting business, especially considering you know the growth of direct to consumer brands, specifically in in groceries. So. You know for us what's really important is ensuring that the carrier rates are really great ensuring that the service levels of the fulfillment partner are really great because you're essentially giving them you know what could be hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars of inventory that you want to make sure is is well taken care of that it's handled correctly there's nothing suspicious there and that you have an eye on your inventory that it matches what you provided them so you know Doing that with, with a lot of thought, visiting your partners, going to the fulfillment center and, in, and inspecting it is, are a huge components of it. But I would say, you know, once your business is up and running and if you're feeling really good about your relationship and say they're providing you really great service, making sure that you're, you're benefiting from carrier rates because rates can get really expensive. And a lot of the time, these fulfillment providers will kind of extend to you their carrier rates because they're negotiating stronger carrier rates as a result of managing lots of businesses and doing moving a lot of parcels, that you're 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 taking advantage of that and that you're lowering your costs as, as much as possible because it could get really really expensive. So it's a combination of just understanding you know what your needs are as a brand, ensuring that that the three PL matches that, and you know as you continue to grow, ensuring that your carrier rates don't kill you because they can.
0: This message comes from Wix e-commerce, the professional platform that enables entrepreneurs all over the world to create and run their online store and grow their e-commerce business. If you want to sell online, make sure you stand out. Go to Wix e-commerce and create an online store that will grab shoppers' attention. Build a state-of-the-art storefront, showcase your product with striking product pages and sell subscriptions. Go global and display prices in local currencies. Boost your sales by offering instant coupons using the live chat. Streamline your checkout process with automated shipping fees and sales tax calculation. Manage your inventory and track your sales from one convenient dashboard. Analyze your comprehensive sales and traffic reports. Check out these and more must-have e-commerce features for sellers who mean business. Go to Wix.com slash e-commerce today and join over 700,000 active stores selling worldwide with Wix e-commerce. Are you interested in DTC and e-commerce content? Join Trend's exclusive community for everything DTC, the DTCers community. We're talking marketing, product, growth, and more, all about DTC. Go to trend.io slash podcast. That's tren dio slash podcast and look for the Slack community link to claim your invite. We hope to see you on there. I know one thing that we had talked about too, speaking of fulfillment, because we had a chance to, to connect before this podcast, you kind of mentioned to me about, you know, making a decision between doing fulfillment externally or internally. Could you kind of explain to to listeners out there that maybe don't know what, what is meant by that or don't know what the difference is, what you mean there and providing maybe some like pros and cons as well for both. Yeah, yeah,
1: totally. So we we actually got super serendipitous and lucky. We the week that COVID, the pandemic kind of hit everyone and everyone was shutting down, I think it was the last week of February, we moved to 3PL. Our business was at the right size. Prior to that we were we were fulfilling all the products ourselves. And since then we've we've kind of engaged with different 3PLs. So what I'll say to that is going back to the point that i made earlier is like it's it's crucial for you to understand how your product travels. We actually have made four different changes to our packaging and three different changes to our so four different changes to our primary packaging, three different changes to our secondary packaging. And we continue to and we're about to go through the fifth which we're really excited about. But in either case we're you're learning how the product travels, the quality of the product, if it's breaking, if it's not. And if you don't do that work yourself, you know, you're you're potentially shipping out tons and tons of product that you're not sure you can't root cause what the problem is and root causing it quickly as a startup was uh, was essential for us. So having that hands-on experience of saying, wow, this is a major pain in the butt to, to, to make these boxes, or if I drop this box at three feet, it's going to break, or, you know, this product doesn't hold well and travel well because of whatever reason, getting those insights hands on, because again, food is, food is a weird finicky thing and food items act differently in different environments and in different situations, like if it's winter in one place or if it's summer in another place. So you need to be mindful of those different variables. And, you know, for us going through the experience for about, you know, six months to a little less than a year was really crucial and some days sucked, but it was, it was really important to us. Now I would say if you, if you have a business that's like putting a bunch of stuff into a box, that's, that's a little bit more challenging. And the rates can get really high with 3PL because pick and pack fees get really high. So you want to balance out, like, you know, are you shipping out super simple boxes to make, or are you shipping out kits? And if you're shipping out kits, that can get really challenging from a from a customization standpoint and really expensive from a customization standpoint at a 3PL. So there's there's pros and cons. Like at the end of the day, we'd love to have as much control as possible, but you know, our focus as a brand is to deliver an amazing customer experience and an amazing product quality consistently. And we feel that by having a a, a good combination of Hands on with our manufacturing process, and that hands off with our fulfillment process allows us to get in a place where we can really focus where the biggest impact is being made. And like I mentioned, there's there's tons of three PLs and fulfillment services out there that I think people can uh, find the right fit for their business. They're just going to
0: have to do a lot of discovery and you know pick up the phone and, and visit a lot of places to make sure that they're they're getting the right partnership. Definitely, I think uh, one interesting thing you brought up there is kind of like that consideration of the the pick-and-pack fee potentially. I'd be curious to learn from you when thinking through that, you know, potentially like bundling. I don't know if you're thinking about that right now or even in the future as time goes on. How do you kind of balance that bundling? Because obviously bundling is great. Customization is great because it tends to lead to, you know, everyone wants to have products that are customized to their own needs. How do you kind of balance that versus, you know, the, the cost associated with that or even potentially thinking about that, you know, when testing different bundles or those kinds of considerations?
1: You know, there's some interesting services out there. You know, for example, their drop shipping in, in e-commerce has become a little has become really interesting, especially in food where we leverage it quite extensively where we rely on after doing an audit of our partners, rely on them to fulfill their products separately. So it allows us to create bundles that arrive in different parcels. So as opposed to packing everything in one kit, it arrives separately. Now there's the alternative world where you can put it all together. And, you know, as we were discussing, there's, there's kind of two routes to go there. You can either do it yourself. If you really feel strongly about the curation of kits and the customization of those kits, then I think having you know a team to perform those customizations themselves would would probably be advantageous and maybe more cost effective, although that that is highly questionable right now in, in today's environment. But at the same time, you know three PLs are, are doing a really great job of of taking the right receiving the right data points and making sure that that box is put it into the right kind of fit. So it, I would say that if you're going down a 3PL route for custom kits and the curation of pick-and-pack boxes that have an assortment of different products within them, I would say having really great SOPs, standard operating procedures that you could provide to your 3PLs that allow them to ensure that they're doing this exactly as you want them to do it, that they're you know, stacking the boxes correctly, that they're packaging them correctly, that it has you know, the highest level of quality in terms of thoughtfulness behind how it's composed inside of the box is really key because, you know, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the people working in a fulfillment center. It's a hard job and they're doing great work and they're doing amazing things, but, you know, they're having to deal with other brands and packaging a lot of different things into one, in one facility, and they're not going to pay as much attention to your brand as you or your team would if they were hands-on with it. So, There's the luxury of thinking, oh, I'm just passing this workload off to somebody else. But you really have to be sensitive about, you know, ensuring that they're going to deliver at a high quality um, and consistent level, ensuring that, you know, what customer ordered is actually arriving in their box as they ordered it. And I think that's a balance of, of striking the balance between having a great partnership with your 3PL and informing them and curating the processes that allow them to deliver on your needs.
0: Definitely. Let's talk a little bit about. You know, we've talked a lot about bringing one product or your first product to the market. I'm sure there's a lot of brands out there that are thinking about multiple products, brand owners that want to constantly be innovating, adding SKUs to their line. How do you continue innovating your product line, and what should you be thinking about when looking to add? new products, not only from maybe what your customers are looking for, but even from the operations side, kind of thinking about that in a meaningful way.
1: Totally. So you can go far as a business with one product if you really focus on on delivering an amazing experience. I truly believe that. And we've been very thoughtful about executing new products for a couple of different reasons. One, we think you know, it's, it's challenging enough to educate on what our product is, and we want to make sure we're doing so in a thoughtful way and learning new ways to c- communicate our product offerings and appealing to new segments of our consumer base that may be interested in different attributes of our product. So I think there's, there's a lot of diligence to be done, and the best way to do that, I think, is engaging with your customers and taking surveys and picking up the phone and asking them for their time to engage with them over the, over the phone or in person to really understand how people are using your product on a day-to-day basis with that comes a whole wealth of knowledge you know for us it was really surprising that you know people use our product when we first launched with almond and, and cashew people were using our product for coffee a lot of the milk was being made specifically for coffee so we thought hey what would our version of a whole food creamer look like so we came out with that it's a combination of hazelnut cashew and oat and it froths really well and it it's slightly sweet without any sweetener due uh, to the natural sweetness of the ingredients we use. And that was a really great product for, for coffee and it continues to be. And then due to the, you know, the, the surge in oat, we we had to come up with our version of oats. So we came out with an oat milk powder, but listening to, you know, what the customers are saying, what they ask of you is a really important process. And they'll tell you, I mean, if, if your if your business is, is engaging in developing a community. Your customers will tell you via social media, they'll tell you via email, they'll tell you via your chat, they'll tell you in your surveys that, hey, we'd love to see this, we'd love to see that, we'd love to, you know, go in this direction. And I think being very mindful of that is a huge component. And then obviously backing into what you think are market trends, what's exciting and what's compelling and what spaces make your team really excited. I think it's it's not only important to understand what your customers are doing, but you know speaking to your team and what would motivate them to get out of work every day, you know, to to take things to the next level. If there's a product out there that they think and are personally invested in to make sure that they bring to the market in a really exciting way, that's a that's I think that's a very really powerful point to leverage and something or insight to leverage and something that you know if you can if you can have your customers behind it, your team behind it, and the market trends are in the right direction, then you know, you'll undoubtedly have success with that product if you spend time on ensuring that it's being delivered with a lot of thoughtfulness and executed at a high level.
0: Yeah, I think that's a key point that anyone can kind of take away is just being thoughtful about what they're producing and what they're spending time on in terms of their product line. I know we're coming towards the end of the podcast over here. So one of the questions I do want to ask you as well, you know, we've talked a lot about, process, tips, guidance around manufacturing and operations. I kind of want to take it back to to your role at Joy. As someone who's kind of been in the driver's seat, what are some of the challenges you faced as a CEO of the company? And what would you tell other CEOs as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think everyone has their own challenge, depending on where you're you know, what your prior experiences were and the team dynamic and what kind of business you're operating in. So it's a very, they say it, you're, it's isolating at the top because I, I think less so because of the decision-making processes, but more so because, you know, it's always a unique space that you're in. You're you're making unique decisions for something that's never been done before. There's no business like yours exactly with the people behind it and, and in the environment that we operate in with the sales channels and the complexity of our world today. So it's very isolating to drive in that terrain, not because you're alone, but because that terrain is kind of uncharted much of the time. So, you know, for me, I think it's important just to get your head out of the trenches. If you're kind of driving in a seated place, I was talking about, you know, me being in Colorado recently, like it's a beautiful drive, but the people who get to really see the 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 landscape as you're driving into the mountains are the passengers because you're focused on the road a lot of the time. But stopping every once in a while to take a look at the scenery is, is a huge component of it. So... I would, I would advise any any CEO to stop every once in a while and to reflect on, you know, where are you today? Look around you. Look at the landscape, the environment, the people you're with, and ask yourself, like, are we going in the right direction? Is is this the place I want to be? Are these the people I want to be with? Are these the products we're pushing? Are we marketing in the right way? And you know, reflect on that every so often because it's really easy to just keep your head down and say, hey, we got to hit these numbers we got to grow X, Y, and Z. And so many unique and really amazing opportunities can pass you by if you don't, if you don't take a moment. And actually, interestingly enough, you know, I'm part of a, a, an amazing group here in Miami. Uh, it's called the Local Leaders Collective, where we get together it's different CEOs and founders who, who talk about their, their, their struggles. And we were actually connected as a result of one of my forum members, Adam. And, you know, that, that forum and that leadership collective is an opportunity for us once a month as leaders of our businesses to get together and do that and talk about our businesses, reflect about what's going on. And that's been super powerful for me. And I know it's been powerful for all the members of, of this collective and this uh, particularly of my forum group. So that's been a, a, a huge thing for us. And I highly recommend either, you know, whatever you got to do to get yourself out of the trenches, whether that is friends or with family or with
0: peers of yours or colleagues, uh, to do so and take that time to reflect. Some great tips over there. Those are awesome. As we're wrapping up over here, I want to turn the mic over to you one last time. Obviously, this has been a great episode. You know, it's been great talking about manufacturing and operations and, you know, some great tips and considerations to make when making decisions around there. Let's talk a little bit about Joy as we're wrapping up over here. What's next for for Joy? We've had
1: just such stellar growth, and I'm so excited and and fortunate to be part of this amazing team and and an opportunity. And we're we're really paving the way to create a new product category, which we're really excited about. We call them plant bases. It's our concentrates, and we're going to continue to explore new iterations, new form factors of this plant based concentrate. Why? Because we feel very strongly about. You know, ha- going down a clean label path, ensuring that there's no additives, no, no no funky stuff in our products, but also highly sustainable. And we're actually making some really good progress in ensuring that not only our product is sustainable from the manufacturing standpoint, as well as how people consume it, but also our packaging standpoint. So we've done, we just launched no product that comes in a fully compostable uh, pouch. It's it's home compostable and industrial, industrially compostable. So that's huge for us. And we're excited because it's a zero waste product uh, from end to end. And our, our bases that come in the paste format are, are going to be transitioning to glass, so moving entirely away from plastic. So that, plus new form factors that we have in the pipeline and growth as a as direct-to-consumer business, there's some really interesting marketing initiatives and partnerships that we have in Q, just allow us to be, I think, delivering on a lot of different expectations and, and really kind of you know, coming out of the kind of, out of this environment as an underdog in a, in a crowded space of milk products. And getting people, you know, educated, informed, and excited about this new form factor to make their milks and their other plant-based food items at home or in their businesses, and you know, by by educating people on that and, and getting product in people's hands, we think we're we're doing a really great job. So just super excited about new new products that we have in the queue and and improvements in on products that we're currently you know that we're currently providing to the
0: market. Yeah, exciting things up ahead. We'll definitely be keeping an eye on uh what what you and your team are up to at Joy. Hector, it's been awesome having you on the podcast over here. A lot of knowledge dropped. I know I learned a lot. I know our listeners did as well. You know, as we're in the final moments over here, where can people learn more about, you know, what you're doing at Joy, potentially even connect with you? As well, and anything else that you want to share as well as we wrap up over here?
1: Yeah, totally. We're at www.adjoy.com, com. Joy spoke Joy, just one ingredient. So, for your listeners listening, and yeah, our Instagram and TikTok, that's a great place for us to engage. I'm always on there talking to our customers. Adjoy, edjoy, is our handle. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on new products and what, what we're doing, what we could be doing better. We love it all, good and bad. So, Whatever you have to say, we're all ears. We'd
0: love to hear from you. So, yeah, please take the time and check us out. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Hector, for, for all this great information over here. If you enjoyed this episode of the DTC pod, feel free to drop us a quick rating and subscribe to the podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again for joining us, Hector. All the best, man. Really had a great time. Thanks a lot, Jay.